Thank you. Whether you're online or on site, thank you for participating uh, in uh, our worship celebration. I appreciate it. Uh, as I say, appreciate you being here or there, whatever the case may be. Well, if you haven't noticed, and if you haven't, where have you been? We live in a fractured world that's uh, far from safe for human, for human beings uh, to live. This, this world is not safe for human life. We would like to think that it is, but it's not. Let's see if that works better. Um, I don't think it was on. There we go. N nature, nature makes this obvious. I mean, this is what the, now one of the great things about this planet that we live on is that it is the one unique thing that we know, one unique planet that we know of, that we know of, that is designed apparently. I mean, it's fine-tuned for life. But that doesn't mean it's always safe for life. Uh, nature makes it obvious that it's not safe. Uh, we have wildfires, like California's always got wildfires, but now there's one in Hawaii. Uh, in California, you can run. In, in Hawaii, there's where are you going to go? Um, there are hurricanes, there are tornadoes, there are earthquakes, there are famines, there are droughts, there are floods. There's cancer, there's sicknesses of all kinds, there are pandemics. I have a friend who sells life insurance and her tagline is, nobody's getting out of this one alive. Well, that's a positive note, right? Uh, humans, humans, we prove, we prove that we're broken uh, constantly. We're fighting, we're killing, we're torturing, we're taunting, we're cursing, we're insulting, we're enslaving and abusing each other in all kinds of ways every day. It seems like um, when people talk about how we're going to, go, we're on the verge of a greater future, uh, but it seems like everything we do uh, is two things happen. This is what I call the law of unintended consequences. We, we, do, we create these new things and all of a sudden find out that what we thought was going to be a great, th a great thing for us to do and to use uh, actually is killing us. Uh, I'm going to use an ancient example. I'm going to do this because this is ancient because it happened back when I was in high school and college. So for all of those young people who may be uh, listening, what is that? Uh, you Google it. DDT. This is the most wonderful. It came out. It was the most wonderful insecticide the world had ever known. It kills anything and everything we don't want on our crops. And all the birds that eat those dead bugs, and all the animals that eat the dead birds. Oh, and then it gets into the soil, and it gets into us, and then it kills us. Oh, it's not all that great after all. Law of unintended consequences. We had to outlaw it after we 
killed a whole bunch of stuff. So there's that problem. And the other problem is we often use our creativity to make better ways of hurting each other. What do you mean? Well, I think there's a movie out currently or about the Manhattan Project where we figured out how to make the biggest, baddest bombs in the world. Some of us lived through it, and we still have them sitting around somewhere. We do, Russia does, China does, and other big countries do. We have these big bad bombs. We have enough of them to blow up the world three or four times or more over. Isn't that a pleasant thought? Boy, aren't we creative. I'm going back to my original statement, and if you think I'm wrong, Good luck convincing me otherwise. This world is fractured, broken, and messed up. It is not safe for human life. When billions of individuals want what they want, how they want it, when they want it, no matter what it may cost somebody else for them to get what they want, the result is absolute chaos. result is what we have and this is not breaking news this one this is not a, like something that developed over the last few weeks you know this is not something that uh, is new this world has been this way for a long time in fact the overarching plot and, and line of the narrative of the Bible uncovers both the problem and the solution uh, to this from near the very beginning of our time on earth, humans place themselves in the center. From the Bible's perspective, the humans place themselves in the center where the creator belongs, and our needs, our desires, and our longings now rule over us. We want self-sufficiency, self-expression, individuality. We're self-oriented. We want to seek self-discovery. We're, we want self-esteem, we're looking for personal growth, personal freedom, self-fulfillment. All of these things control our lives. We want it. We want it now. And because we don't get it, as one of the biblical writers bluntly says to us, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. I'm going to say that for all of us who are going, oh, I would never kill anybody. Well, not literally, but figuratively. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence, literal or figurative, to get your hands on it. So this begs the question, if this is our problem, from, and it started near the beginning, but it was before, at the beginning, how were we created? How were we created to live? If our current focus on self is the problem, what were, we, 
What are we supposed to center our lives on? What's supposed to be the focus? What's supposed to describe our lives instead of what I want? What should be the middle, the center? Well, the shortest answer for how we're supposed to live our lives, the shortest answer is live like Jesus. Live as Jesus lived. That's the shortest answer. The next shortest answer is the answer Jesus gave, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. In other words, love God with everything that you are. Oh, and the second part of that is love your neighbor as yourself. So the short answer is we were created to live like Jesus lived, and the long, slightly longer answer is we're to live loving God and each other. Galatians 5, 22-25 gives us a slightly more detailed description of the qualities that mark that kind of love. To mark the lives of people who live as Jesus lived. Who live the way God created us to live in the beginning. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. The fruit of the Spirit. No, I'm not going to sing it for those of you who are wondering. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Another word for that, or another couple of words, patience. Or the even older word, long-suffering. I don't like that word. It is a word we don't use, but it's far more descriptive. Long-suffering. So, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So there's a term in there I want us to pause and, and, and I need to define that. What is the flesh that Paul is talking about? Here? The people who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. What is he talking about? That, that's a word and a term that he used to describe our self-centered, rebellious, I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, no matter what it costs anybody else to get it. Aren't you glad he didn't just, you know, do that with long sentence there, just said, the flesh? So whenever you, if, if you're reading your Bibles and you see that in, in Paul's writing, that's probably what he's talking about. Especially when he's talking about how we got to get rid of it. And what he's saying is, if we're following Jesus, it's been crucified. It died on the cross. That attitude in us died on the cross 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. And so now, we're to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And when we do, then we know love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. That's what, what happens when the Holy Spirit works in us. How does he change us? 
But when we cooperate with him, the Holy Spirit steadily produces the, these facets of God's kingdom, his kingdom love, his amazing love. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to do this so that we can experience what it means to be part of God's kingdom family. The Holy Spirit helps us develop a new mindset, love, joy, and peace. From these, they form a group of attitudes that replaces that our old self-centeredness and steadily pushes out all the ways of thinking that were part of that. Love kind of love Jesus showed for us on the cross. Joy. Peace. The Holy Spirit helps us develop new relationship skills like patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. These things seek the best for others even if it costs us. That's the complete opposite. That old attitude, I want what I want it, what I want, how I want it, when I want it, no matter what it may cost somebody else, is turned into relationship skills that say, I want to help you no matter what it costs me. We read this verse a little earlier, but I'm going to remind us. It's from 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. The Holy Spirit helps us develop the, a new, the new ability to choose gentleness and self-control. Instead of demanding what I want, I serve. Instead of demanding what we want, when we want it, how we want it, no matter what it costs others, we, we are willing to give it up. We choose to do for others. Now we consistently underestimate how far that self-centeredness has infiltrated our lives. One of my favorite devotional authors, as you, many of you know, is J.D. Walden. He wrote one of the best explanations of this I've ever seen. And so I'm going to share highlights of that explanation with you. Um, I mean, I, I could have re you know, paraphrased it and pretended that it was my stuff, but I'm not sure that's really honest. So might as well know, know where it came from. Janie says, I, I mostly thought of sin as a personal failure. <laughs> Some way I failed to live up to a standard. I tend to define sin in a self-centered fashion. I am coming to understand this is the essence, though, of sin. Even the way I'm defining sin is to live in a self-centered way 
or to revolve life around myself, my selfishness. So, sin is my failure, my breaking the rules. It's all about me. In that situation, let's consider how we might define the opposite of sin. I tend to want to say it is selflessness or unselfishness. But do you see the problem? I just define the goal again around me. It's still about me. The opposite of sin is me not being selfish. The very effort to define the opposite condition of sin still finds me caught in the gravity of self-centeredness. So it leads to defining sin primarily in, in behavioral categories, things you do and things you don't do, which leads to a whole framework of, of pride and shame. Look how good I'm doing, look how bad I blew it. Look how good I'm doing, look. Are you following this? You see what the problem is? It's still all about me. And my behavior. What we have to have, J.D. Walt says, what we must have is a shifting of the center of our lives from self to something else completely. Naturally, we consider the opposite of self-centered life to be the other-centered life. But too often when we do work on that, we do it with the question of what am I going to get out of it? How am I going to benefit from helping them? If I focus my attention on them, what am I going to get? What will I receive? Even our best efforts to be other-centered come back as an effort to wonder, how am I going to benefit? Even my most unselfish efforts, he says, rarely go beyond my self-interest in some way, shape, or form. It is impossible to overestimate the invasive infiltration of the self-centered structure of our lives. So what do we do? The only way we can go from self-centeredness to other-centered is to be delivered by the greatest other, capital O, in the history of others, Jesus. Becoming Jesus-centered, he says, is the secret to becoming other-centered. We must come to understand sin is fundamentally relational. It's not about behavior, it's about a relationship. It's about, all sin is about being 
against God, others, and ourselves simultaneously. And we have to come to understand that we do not become free from sin by trying harder not to sin, but we do let come by letting Jesus give us the power to live according to his love. Here's a sermon in a sentence. We can never produce a fraction of one of the facets of the Holy Spirit's love on our own. We can never produce a fraction of one of the facets of the Holy Spirit's other-centered love on our own, left to ourselves. <coughs> No matter how many times we feel bad, no matter how many times we repent, no matter how many times we promise to do better, no matter how many times, going back to when I was growing up, no matter how many trips we've made to the altar, how many tears we've shed, on our own we cannot produce a fraction Something the Holy Spirit has to do in us. The love Jesus displayed when he died on the cross grows from the Holy Spirit's delivering us from that self-centered focus. Jesus displayed God's other-centered love on the cross. Left to ourselves, we can't grow that kind of love from good deeds. Or feeling bad about our failures. You can have a long list of rules of what you can do and what you can't do. And you can keep all of them and still not love anybody. The love Jesus demonstrated on the cross cannot grow from the self-centeredness saturating our soul. It's just not possible. It's like planting corn seeds and hoping an oak tree is going to come up. won't happen. His love only grows from our ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. Left to ourselves, we'll never produce a fraction of what he wants to give us in this terms of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. But every time we depend on Jesus. The Holy Spirit sends a little bit more of his other-centered love into us and through us, and it creates a truly miraculous transformation. He changes us a little bit at a time. The Holy Spirit remakes us into Jesus' loving nature one tiny step at a time. So what does God want us to feel right now? This is important. Regardless of how rational we like to think our decision-making is, like 99% of our decisions are made emotionally. And then we think of reasons why that's our right decision. So I, this is a good question to ask. What does God want us to feel right now? 
Well, the first thing God wants us to feel is conviction, not condemnation. Now, let me explain that real quick. Condemnation feels like I'm a failure. I'll never measure up to God's standard. I'm useless. Uh, I'll never be like Jesus. I might as well give up. Or we might as well give up. Because we're never going to make it. We're never going to be good enough. We're never, never, never going to Never going to be able to live up all those rules. Never going to be able to love like Jesus. Never, 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 never. There's just about that much truth in those statements. Because left to ourselves, we can't. But here's what conviction feels like. It feels like the Holy Spirit whispering in our ears. Let's work on this together. There's nothing we can't do together. We can defeat your old habits. Follow my lead. I'll make you more like Jesus one tiny step at a time. You can believe me. Conviction feels like I've heard the Holy Spirit make a promise to me and I'm going to believe it. can't believe God, I'm screwed. Well, we can say that in church. God wants us to feel anticipation, not apprehension. Appre apprehension feels like we're always going to be under God's inevitable judgment and punishment and curse. There's no escape uh, for all of the faults and our failures. It's just good. It's hopeless. Um, anticipation feels like Better blessings are just around the corner. The Holy Spirit has made promises and God wants to work in my life. We can grow to think and act more like Jesus. We will get to know him better because the Holy Spirit is working in us. Because the Holy Spirit helps us. We are not left to ourselves. We are not alone. I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm looking forward to see what he's going to do next. That's anticipation. What else does God want us to feel? God wants us to feel momentum, not stagnation. Stagnation feels like Jesus has done so much for us. Jesus has forgiven our sins. We've come so far from what we used to be. We are so thankful. We really shouldn't ask for more. We shouldn't expect more. God has been so good to us. Momentum feels like let's keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not sit still. The Holy Spirit will not stand still. And let's keep following the Spirit's guidance in all of our attitudes, thoughts, and actions, our words and deeds. With the Spirit's help, we will choose the path that Jesus walked ahead of us. The Spirit knows the way, and we can go with it. Old song just came to mind. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Another song, No Turning Back, No Turning Back. Oh, good grief. The songs are flooding through my head today. Watch out, world. In his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan writes, I refuse to remain, live the remainder of my life where I am right now. Stagnating at this point. Don't get me wrong, he says. God has already done so much in my life and I am grateful for it. 
I am just convinced there's more. There's more of the Spirit and more of God than any of us is experiencing. I want to go there, not just intellectually, but in life with everything that I am. Well, he's probably one of those radical newcomers, you know, one of those young guys. All right, well, for those of us who want to hear from somebody old, about a hundred years ago, uh, a songwriter and pastor named Charles Price Jones put it this way in his song, Deeper, Deeper in the Love of Jesus. Boy, I remember singing this song. Not gonna, at least not today. Deeper, deeper in the love of Jesus, daily let me go. Higher, higher in the school of wisdom, more of grace to know. Deeper, deeper, blessed Holy Spirit, take me deeper still till my life is lost in Jesus and his perfect will. Deeper, deeper, though it cost hard trials, deeper let me go. Rooted in the holy love of Jesus, let me faithful grow. That's what I want. I don't want to be stagnant. I'm a whole lot closer to... I'm close. I may have shared this with folks before, but I'm going to tell you, my goal is to live to 120 and pass out from smoke inhalation by trying to blow up at birthday candles which means uh, I'm over halfway there. Everybody wants to try to figure out the math, go ahead. I'm over halfway there. I'm not gonna tell you how much, but I'm over halfway there. But I still wanna be moving and growing. Up to the moment I pass out, and die from smoke inhalation trying to blow out 120 candles on my birthday cake. I still want to be singing deeper, deeper in the love of Jesus. Daily let me go. Deeper, deeper. Till I'm lost in Jesus. Will you join me in asking Holy Spirit to lead us deeper into Jesus' holy love? I'm going to invite you to, to join me in singing our prayer. We've sung this chorus a few times recently, so it's probably familiar. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Lord, fill me to be a living sanctuary for you. We need you. We pray that you would give us a solid conviction, a confidence that knows that we know, that we know.
know that we know that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you want to lead us from where we've been even further into the holy love of Jesus. Not only for us to experience that love, but for us to be able to live it and to share it with each other and with this world that is so broken and so needy. Convince us that it's possible and it's going to happen as we walk with you. Fill us with anticipation We don't need to know what the next step's going to take us to. We don't need to know what's going to happen. We just want to know that we're walking with you and that we're keeping up and that you've got good things in store. No matter what the situation may look like, you're with us and that's enough. The Father, we send praise to your Holy Spirit would fill us with momentum that you would help us to keep moving. Keep us refreshed in our relationship with you. Renew us every day so that we become more and more like Jesus. For those of you who are online, I want to thank you for connecting with us uh, today. If you uh, have not already joined the friend Facebook group, Champions of Hope, I would invite you to do that. We'd enjoy the opportunity to connect with you as well. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us, just as he was upon Jesus. We have been called, we have been anointed, we have been given a task. We go carrying good news to the world, news about freedom, news about healing, news about forgiveness and transformation. The time of the Lord's favor is now. Praise the Lord. You're sent. Go with Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit.